the next couple of weeks, we, uh, we're going to go, we're going to go OG, we're going to go original. And I grew up in a church where it was verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I just felt fitting that, you know, we're almost at a year now of, of having gatherings every single Sunday. And um, I've realized that as we've continued to grow as a community and, and understand the scriptures and we've kind of hit on all these different topicals, I love topical message and conversation and collections. We've gone through Holy Spirit series. We've gone through different stuff. But what, what I felt that God was just putting in my heart is, is okay, now we're going to go deep now. And in order to, to really understand the fullness of, of, of God in, in regards to the scriptures, we have to be willing to go through a book together. And so I decided, I mean, it's been on my heart for a while. I love not only the name of James, I really do. I just love that name. It's a strong name, but there's power behind the, the actual book of James. And so over the next couple of weeks, next four or five weeks, we're going to go through the whole book together. There's only about five chapters. So we're going to do that together, and I would encourage you, as you're home throughout the week, you can listen to it in one sitting, to be honest. If you just put the Audible version on the YouVersion Bible app, you can probably listen to it in about a good 15 minutes, the whole book. And what I love about it is it's practical, and it's simplistic, but it, James gets all up in your face. He doesn't hold back any punches, and we're going to discover why he does that. So... I want to not apologize, but I want to just give heed that this particular collection is going to be more, a little bit more teachy. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a natural, I think naturally I'm a preacher. I like to, to yell and to like get excited and my veins pop and spit comes out. I naturally love to preach. I feel like that's the gift God's given me, but... but I'm going to force myself, as I went to school for, I went to school for this. I went to school and studied the scriptures, and I broke it down in the hermeneutics and the homiletics and the exegesis of looking at one word that you could study for hours. And so I, I'm able to now put my education, I mean, I did before, obviously, but I, I just am so excited that I get to break down the scripture for us so that it can bring new light to our everyday life. And if I'm being honest not the opposition that I have through going book by book, chapter by chapter. Sometimes it could seem mundane, but my promise to you is that it won't. Because I'm going to preach and I'm going to teach. I'm going to put one hat on, I'll put the other hat on, okay? So anyway, we're going to jump right into it. But before we do, like, I have to, we have to lay the framework. And what I've decided to do, symbolically, is to invite James to Coin Church. And he's going to walk in the room, and he's going to have... He might even have like a little limp because he's older. The scripture says that Jesus, he was crucified in actual time and space in our history books. You can look it up. He died and passed away. He was, he was killed on the cross, murders, and, and he rose again. And there's, there's eyewitness accounts. And we're going to talk about through the book of James. But there was eyewitness accounts of Jesus dying on the cross, being risen from the dead, and, and appearing and reappearing to people. It's not just this hokey pokey book or scripture or ideology or religion that someone just went in, in the back corner of Oregon under the trees and went to the trees and saw this light in, in the middle of the forest. And it was just one person and then this light kind of shunned all throughout the forest in the fog. And then a voice said, I need you to tell people about light in the trees. And then the tree spoke. That's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Jesus was public, and there's no other religion that was like this. 
Because oftentimes it was just one individual that had one encounter and came and said, hey, I have a book now. That's not what the scriptures are. That's not what the gospel is. There's 66 books, Old Testament, New Testament. We find ourselves here in the book of James after Jesus has passed away, risen from the dead. And James is a little bit older. Jesus passed away about 33 AD. Around there, 30, 33, James gets martyred. You know what martyred means? Killed because of his faith. Josephus, which was like a historian, sorry, I'm geeking out, but I just kind of like this stuff. So I got my teacher hat on. Josephus was a historian, and what he did in the early church is he, was, he, he, would, he would write down all the, the things that would happen, and I need you to understand, in this day and age, if something was inaccurate, they would put it in a pile of books and burn it. If it was true and accurate, it would continue to develop, and the story would go on and on and on. That is why the Bible has lasted for millennia, thousands of years, because in the New Testament, when they wrote it and it was documented, we find men like Luke, we find men like James, we find men like Paul. They read it. There was eyewitness accounts that proved that did happen. They didn't burn the book. We still have the Bible. The number one book still sold to this day is the scripture of Jesus. So James is going to come in the room. And he might be a little bit older. He was, he was killed and martyred in about 62 AD. So you can do the math. He was, probably, he was the older brother of, like, Jesus. We're going to talk about that. Who was James? But he, we're going to invite him into Coin Church. And I understand there's all different journeys of faith in this room. Some that are just, you're just excited about Jesus. You're excited. You just want to know more about God. I have a quote, even on my phone. I have to read it just because it's so good. And I, I put it on my phone so I can memorize it, but I never do. It says this. It comes from Erwin McMahon. It says, it's more important to change what people care about than to change what they believe. You can believe without caring, but you can't care without believing. I, I gotta say it again, James, for the people in the back. It's more important to change what people care about than to change what they believe. You can believe without caring. I know a lot of Christians, Jesus people, that don't really care about the gospel. You can believe without caring. It's just like, ah, it's whatever. But you can't, you can't, you can't care without believing. And so what we're going to do is we're going to invite James into the room. And I just need to give you warning. He's a little rough around the edges. He's gone through some things. There's a reason why he talks like he does, right likes he, like he does, because he's gone through a lot of stuff. In fact, Josephus, the historian, would document two different accounts. If you look it up on your own, there's, there's two or three different historians that would account that. One, he was thrown in Jerusalem, off the temple. The Jewish leaders, the same ones that killed Jesus, took, took James to the top of the temple, threw him off the temple, and he didn't initially die, and they begin to stone him to death. Like, that's a real thing. Throwing rocks, grab one small, big, medium, it didn't matter, and you threw it as hard as you can, and you would do it until the person died. And the account shows that as James was on the floor, he was crying out as Jesus did, as Stephen the martyr did in the book of Acts, God, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. God, have grace upon them. And in the scripture, the Josephus would say that a man, that was like a, like he would do, hit the close, the club worker guys, or I don't know, he had like a, a fog, is that what you call him? He, he came up, you can look this up, and, and he beat him a couple times on the head so that he would die. And this is rage, faith rage. 
you're coming against my ideology type of rage because there was Jews and then there was Christians. So James, that James is going to come in the room. He's going to talk to us. He's gone through some things. He's going to share with us one of the important truths I believe is about the New Testament. I would argue historians would argue, theologians would argue that James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. What are the Proverbs? Well, you should probably read them. There's about 31 Proverbs. You can, prob- you can read one every month. You can read a chapter every single day. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and it's in the Old Testament. It's right in the middle of the Bible, and it talks about wisdom and truth. Wisdom and truth. Wisdom and truth. Wisdom and truth. And so what we find is the New Testament, the proverb of the New Testament is the book of James, filled with wisdom and truth. So I titled this conversation, True Faith, True Transformation. You see, we lead with exterior. You know that, right? You lead with like right here, who I am. You're, you're leading with your conversation. You're, leader, you're leading with what people see you, what per, people perceive you. We live in, in an Instagram, Facebook, on the phone type of culture. And so everything is perceived on the exterior. We operate out of that identity, by the way. What do people say about you and what do people think about you? Thus, how do you think about yourself and other people? When circumstances come, when hardships come, when brokenness come, when trials, tribulation, temptation, when all those things happen and come against you, what is your reaction? Because that will expose your identity. That will expose who you are, what you believe, everything that you were taught at the core of who you are. That's why it's important, it's imperative. It's incredibly crucial that we shape and frame our ideology, understanding, and identity on the person of Jesus. So James is coming to Coin Church. Not this James, the other James. He's asking if something has truly happened to you for those that would call yourselves a follower of Jesus. And again, if if you don't call yourself that, we still invite you into the table. You're still welcome. We still love you. But if I'm being honest, the next couple of weeks, you get to have like a a first-hand account of what this whole Jesus thing's about. And if, if, I, if I could be honest again, it is all about authenticity. It's all about realness. It's all about, hey, is this thing real? And James would ask that question. He's gonna ask if something has truly happened to you. He's gonna ask where your identity falls within. James is breaking through the door and he's asking, are you serious about this Jesus thing? Like, is this serious to you? I was killed and martyred because of Jesus. What, who is Jesus to you? You see, James has an identity. We find ourselves in the book of James. We're going to open it up. We're going to read probably one or two verses, and then next week we're going to go through the first chapter. But I had to stop. Like Already my, my like background was like, no, we have to talk about who James is first. If you open up the scriptures in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. He writes, James a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get to know a lot about a person by how they introduce themselves, right? So James just, he sets it straight. Hey, I need you to know I'm James, but I'm a servant of God and I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. How did he get to that point in his life? I wanna know the story, the background. I wanna understand because if I don't understand who wrote the book, the author of the book, I can't fully understand the beauty, wonder, cosmic nature of the actual book. I wanna know where he's getting this as he's writing this, as he's penning this out. 
James, a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to hit on these things. If you're truly serious about this faith, it's going to affect how you speak to each other. It's going to affect the way you make your plans, the way you go through hardship and trials, the way you allow pride to affect you. It's going to change and affect your attitude towards the poor. It's going to deal with temptation. He's going to go and challenge you to prove out your faith. Is it real to you? Has the identity changed on the inside and will it affect every area of your life? And has it affected every area of your life? And I'm just like already naturally, that's not my personality. You guys know me. I try not to get all up in the, the grill or the face like all the time. <laughs> but but I, I have to just let you know this is what James will do. He's going to come at us, our community, and he's just going to be very real. There's no games with James. He's a guru, I would argue. He, he's, he's walked this. He's taught this. He, he understands this. It's real life to him. And he's going to walk us through the beauty and the wonder of what it looks like to have real faith. Not just faith, but real faith. Not just faith on a Sunday, but faith Monday through Saturday. And those, were the, those will be the things, the expressions of this series. Here's the hymns verse. James 2, verse 26 I would argue that the entire book can be found around this passage of scripture. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? Like, does your faith have deeds? James would say, it's dead if it doesn't. It's straight up dead. Like, are you living it out? Because if you're not, it's dead. Just as if when someone passes away, we can go and visit them at the funeral, but they're not really there. Their body's there. Their spirit is gone. It's the spirit, the scripture says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the spirit is gone. The, the interior, the identity, what shapes and frames who we are when we die, it is no longer there. It's just a body. James is saying, just as that is so, if you don't have deeds, your faith is dead. It has no identity. It has no structure. Another translation would say faith without works is dead. True faith proves itself and works itself out in every area of our lives. So here's the rub, though, that people would argue, and we're going to just set it straight. In fact, they argued about this as soon as the early church was established. Paul had an issue with it, but then Paul came to understand it. He talks about James. Here's the rub. It's, there's grace, right? I don't know if you've heard that, understand that. The gospel is the gospel of grace, we are a church that embodies grace, forgiveness. Grace is given to us by God, from God. No one else can take it or claim it. It is a gift to us. So what, what that means is when you mess up, make mistakes, when you fall short, the grace of God, the grace of Jesus will cover you and shape you. But James says, yeah, but there's another side to the coin. It's not, not as a result of works so that no one can boast but we are a house of grace. Our story is grace. God did what he could. God did what we couldn't do. That's grace. We are saved by the power of God through Christ. But James comes in, and I'm just warning you, he's going to say there's another side of the coin of the conversation. Yes, there's grace. That's what it's all about. 
Yes, we're saved by grace, but real grace, real grace, and real faith are alive. They're together. They're not inseparable. They actually function together. Real faith and real grace are alive, and they move out through all the areas of our lives, and things change when that happens. Our lives looks different. Our perspective looks different. The way we have conversation and think when hardship, temptation, all the things that James talks about, we get to use out, utilize the identity of Christ to look at those situations, but it's coincide with grace and with faith. And if things aren't changing, you have to ask the million-dollar question. Is there real faith in the equation? Like, do you have real faith? Are things changing in your life? Or, like, is this just a Sunday thing where you just, you come, clock in, you clock out, it's amazing, it's awesome, but, like, James is going to be real, so I'm just going to, like, step on that realness train and, and, and I would encourage you and provoke to you and express to you if things in your life, your real life, like Monday life, Saturday, through Saturday life, and all of the in-between, if things aren't changing for you in a drastic way, spiritual way, mentally way, emotionally way, then he would say your faith is dead because it's always challenging you. It's always pushing you. It's always drawing things out. And there's grace and there's faith and they're inseparable. At some point, you have to ask the question, is my life, does it have real faith? Is it producing deeds? Deeds. Like works. Right? Like actions. Like no married person would say, yeah, I'm just happy just like that's Kelly and this is me and we just hold hands and it's great and it's like awesome and we have conversation, it's great, but like there's no deed in it. There's no enjoyment in it. There's no working to edify each other in it. It's just kind of like a dull relationship. And that is the reality oftentimes. It could be in marriage. I hope that's not for you. That's why you come to church. To understand the beauty, wonder of grace and love and mercy for yourself, then you can give it to others. That's why the gospel came. That's the good news of God, that we can experience his love. And thus, when we experience his love from the Father, we can give love to others. So I then, hopefully, Kelly would attest, she would be honest too, I need to be a better, better husband because of the love I receive from God. And if I don't show those things, my de- those are my deeds, my actions. No one would say, yeah, that's okay to not have actions in your, in your marriage. In the same way, James would say, yeah, it's not right if you have no action in your faith. This man will get all up in our face, all up in our grill. Why? Because of who he is and the experience that he's gone through. So I want to talk about who this man is. Is that all right? You guys good? We're doing some teaching. Is that okay? Can you, like, loosen up? (laughs) All right. So chapter 1, verse 1, let's just start here. And and it's not rhetorical. rhetorical. Who, Who wrote the book of James? James. Gabby, come on. <laughs> hey, let's give it up for Gabby. That was amazing. Come on. She, she led that. James wrote the book. But what James? Which James? There's a, there's a couple different Jameses in the New Testament. In fact, one of the apostles' name is James. Sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee, James and John. But that's not the James we're talking about. In fact, this James, the James that wrote this book, 
before he wrote this book, before all the stuff that happened in his life, this one encounter that changes everything, he was not accredited to write and be an author of the book. He was actually incredibly against who Jesus was. He didn't start out as someone who would be a writer of the Bible. Matthew, and I'm going to show you in the scriptures, Matthew 13, verse 53 says this. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved out from there, coming to his hometown. Say hometown. 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 He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. This Jesus was doing things. They were amazed. They were astonished. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? What what does that tell us? He had a family. He had brothers and sisters. He went through what you and I went through. Who here has brothers? I have three older brothers. And man, I know what it's like to live in a home filled with brothers. I don't know what it's like to have sisters, but I know what it's like to have brothers. So I can understand the correlation between James and Jesus. You see, when they grew up, I could only imagine what they went through. Like, I know this is kind of funny, but think about it. Like, Jesus was the creator of the universe, humbled himself through Mary the virgin, and that's why theologians will say that he was a half-brother of Jesus. Maybe he didn't even look like James. Maybe he didn't even look like his siblings, but they came from the same mother. So they had to have arguments. They had to have disagreements. They had to have, like, maybe they fought. Who knows what this looked like, but nevertheless, they were brothers, Jesus had a family. Jesus knew what it was like to understand the family unit. It says this, where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. The people of his town took offense at him. Implies in this passage of scripture, so did his family. I'll prove it to you. Mark Mark 3 verses 20 and 21 says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard, brothers and sisters, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Can you imagine that? <laughs> like, I have three older brothers, and if we were doing this, and people were gathering, and my brothers came, guys, he's out of his mind. Like, he's crazy. I know who he was. I understand, like, the miracles and all that stuff. But, like, he's saying your sins are forgiven. This man is ludicrous. I'm sorry. He's my brother, but he's crazy. That's the guy who's writing this book. That's the guy who we're inviting into our space in our community to express to us the beauty, the wonder, and the deeds of faith, real faith, alive faith. He's out of his mind. They showed up not to applaud him, not to champion him, not to say, hey, this is my brother. Man, we're so, we're so happy for him. No, they came to say he's crazy. Fast forward, John 7, Jesus' ministry has begun to advance. says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. This, this is crazy. It's sarcastic, by the way. Just know that. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders, they were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee, bro. Leave and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. 
No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret, Jesus. Like, go out and do your thing. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then verse 5 says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, James is not a good candidate to come here and share to us how to live our faith out loud. He's not a fan convinced of Jesus, his brother, at this particular time. But something happened, and all of a sudden, everything changed. In the story, Jesus does eventually go to Jerusalem. He dies on the cross. He rises again, and the church blows up. James eventually becomes the leader of the church. What happened? Galatians 2.9 says, Paul says, James is the pillar of the New Testament. What happened? The pillar of the New Testament. Acts 12.17 says, Peter gets miraculously taken out of prison, and soon he gets out and says, make sure James gets word of this. Acts 15.13, a big debate is taken out about grace and about works. That could have split the church. But James steps in, and he takes the floor, and he takes control. How did James go from hater to hero of the faith? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 accounted witnesses. of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Imagine that, reading this, reading this, and, and knowing that people saw Jesus alive again. Yeah, they saw the, his hands, they saw the, his side, and they heard about Jesus and, and whispers that he was gonna rise again from the dead. He conquered death, and it's, it wasn't just a saying that we in the 21st century experienced. No, they saw it, and it was alive, and there was eyewitness accounts that you could go into the city and talk to a person, and they would say, yeah, I saw Jesus. Like, I saw him. 500 saw him. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, and the last, he also appeared to me. He appeared to Paul. What I love about this, and this is my encouragement to you, is that you, you get to, you can. We're not ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed. You get to investigate Jesus. You should. You should investigate his life. Read the, the scriptures yourself. Investigate who he was. James did it. He investigated who this Messiah was. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. And then what happens is he decides to go back and to see particular people, one of which was his brother. Could you imagine that encounter? Like, hey, hey, uh, James, man, I know, like, you said all these things. I just wanted to remind you, you were wrong. You were off. You weren't seeing things right. No, that clearly isn't what happened. And I wish that we had an account scripture of what happened, but we can infer. The reason I love Jesus so much, the reason we can infer and we can read in and understand, Jesus was the type of person that was filled with grace, love, mercy to his own brother. He goes and visits James and something happens that changes the rest of his life, finds himself as a leader in the New Testament, writing one of the books of the Gospels. And the event was a resurrection. No one could, he couldn't lie. He couldn't disagree. He investigated long enough, and now he sees his brother Jesus. No longer in his eyes his brother. 
and his identity changes. It shifts. All those things Jesus said, they came to pass. I investigated, I watched, I, 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 I analyzed, and now I see that there's something that happened. The public, it went on public record. It wasn't this crazy person out in the woods like I talked about. Every wacko religion is based, I'm sorry, but every wacko religion is based on a subjective one encounter. This is not subjective. Jesus' life and miracles and resurrection happen in the wide open. This is fact. God isn't asking you to put all of your hope in some crazy person's experience. He's asking you to investigate the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to James. What happened in that encounter? What was the conversation like? Did Jesus scold him? Did Jesus remind him that he was crazy? No, he showed love to him. And I could only imagine, he said, James, James, brother, I need you to realize I did this for you. I did this for you, James. I did this for you so that you could realize and understand that there's now access to God. You don't have to work at it like some crazy Jew all fixed in with the law. You don't have to like struggle over it. Your sins are forgiven. You have access to, to God. And I am the access, James. I did it for you. And resurrection, James would say, was for me so I can have a way to God. So here's this famous quote from The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Have you guys watched that movie or read the books? Susan is trying to understand who the lion is. I love this. Aslan is a lion? The lion? The great lion? Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, Susan says. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. If you know anything about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it was written by C.S. Lewis, a theologian, an intellect, an author, understood intellect at a whole nother level. And he writes The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the lion is the example, symbol of God, of Jesus. So I'm going to read that again because maybe that went over some people's head. But I want, seriously, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, I would argue this is the problem with faith today. It's weak at times. It's, it scares away from risk and from challenge and from danger. And that is the complete opposite of who Jesus was. Too much emphasis is on being safe when you follow Jesus. Yeah, I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to go to church and worship. It's great. Go do my thing. But when the Holy Spirit pokes and pricks at your heart to move in such a way, to, to go back and to forgive that person, to go back and, and to, to remind people of the testimony of your life, to have courage enough to tell someone that, hey, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. There's hope in this world. Maybe for some of you, he's calling you to step into a dream or to step into something new. Maybe he's asking you to, to get rid of some, some toxic relationships in your life 
so that you can press in and step forward. Maybe he's, he's calling you to risk and you don't want to risk because you have been told all your life that faith is safe, but it's not safe. James, as he comes and walks into this room, is a martyr of the gospel of Jesus. In Jerusalem, there were still critics and haters of Jesus. And what happens in the book of Acts is Jesus, he dies, he rises again, he sees the 500, he sees Peter, he sees James, he sees all of the, the, the disciples, and he's appearing, he's reappearing to 500, and then Peter preaches the gospel, and 3,000 are added to the church. Then the Bible says that they had koinonia, fellowship with one another. They were gathering, they were distributing goods, they were just living life in such a way that wasn't filled with safety. All the money they had, if someone was poor, they would give it to them. They helped the widows, they have, hey, does anyone have a need? Everyone's good? All right, let's go after and tell more people about, about God, about Jesus. And the scripture says that every day God added to the church. And then we find ourselves probably about 3,000 people in the early church in the book of Acts. And something happens by a, name, a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Later we would know as Paul the Apostle. And Saul is one of the Pharisees. What maybe some would say he was on the Sanhedrin. He was, he was all about the, the Jewish custom. He, he knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. And he saw that they were worshiping this Jesus who wasn't God. We killed him. We crucified him. Why is his work still ever last? Why is it working? Why are people adding to the church? And so Saul finds this man named Stephen, and they, they, they tie him up, and they throw rocks, and he was the first martyr. And Stephen recites the whole Old Testament in light of Jesus. Jesus was there with Moses. Jesus was there with Abraham. Jesus is faith. Jesus is God. And he recounts the whole thing. And all of the witnesses see this, but Stephen is martyred right in front of everyone. And again, like Jesus, he says, God, forgive them, forgive them, forgive give them and what happens is there's a dispersion that takes place fear persecution hits the road and then we find ourselves in this place in this time James he pulls out his pen and he starts writing this is the context of the book of James people are being killed because they believe in Jesus is that how it is for us not in in California, you can be like made fun of for posting something on Instagram or Facebook, but not stoned and murdered. But this is the context. That's why he's rough around the edges. He's not playing games. He's here to tell us, is your faith real? Is it powerful? And are there deeds to it? So you can say, well, tell me about taming the tongue. James, tell me about taming the tongue. That's, that's really what I need to hear. I, man, I'm going through some suffering. I need, to, I need some encouragement about my suffering. Maybe you could say, well, tell me about the trials because I got a lot of trials going on in my life. Man, but I need wisdom. I got this decision I got to make. And, and James, uh, to tell me about the wisdom because I read in that passage the wisdom. I want to understand the wisdom. James is saying, before we talk about the practical principles, because we will, before that, I need to tell you who I am. James says, James, servant of God, servant of Jesus, that's, that's who I am. I'm James, and I, I'm, not the, I'm not the brother. 
I'm not the hater. I'm not the bystander. I am a servant. That is my title. That is who I am. That is my position. That is my identity. It is in Jesus, for Jesus. I will die for Jesus. So when I, you see me on the streets, I'm, I'm not going to have like this tongue that's all over the place. When I'm going to work, I'm not going to say things that I shouldn't be saying. When, when I have a hard dis- decision to make and there's a trial and there's a tribulation, I'm going to understand how to navigate and maneuver my life in such a way that goes back to God and says, how do I do this? How do I deal with this? Those are all the things that James wants to tell you. But today, for the the purpose of our time, because we're pretty much done, he wants to tell you, I'm a servant of Jesus. That's who I am. And in this room, there's a lot of people that are, man, I get it. I'm convicted when I read this. I'm like, man, I got to live out my faith more. What do I need to do? And how do I do it in a way that's healthy and not like overbearing to people? I don't want to be that guy. How do I do it with love and with hope, with grace? I have to understand who Jesus is. James said, I, 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 would, I went from growing up knowing everything about Jesus. I knew him as my brother to honoring him as savior and Lord of my life. And in that moment, he encountered me after the resurrection. I saw him and everything from that point on changed. I've decided to live my faith out loud. That is the conversation of this collection of talk. Living your faith out loud. So God wants to change you from the inside out. Do you know that? From the inside out. From the inside out. And we're going to go through this book. And James is going to challenge us. He's going to talk to us about practical things. Like really practical things. Stuff for me that I'm like, man, that's like really simple. But we're we're going very simple. I like big picture conversation. This is very right in your face. We're going to talk about temptation. Right in your face, we're going to talk about trials. Right in your face, do you have wisdom? Do you have faith? Where are your deeds at? And James, over the next couple of weeks, is going to get all up in our mug, all up in our face. And I'm excited for that because I believe it will begin to do a work in our heart and in our lives. And it should spill out and it should show people who God is. Does that sound good? I know that was a heavy teach. Um, I just needed to go over who James was because we're inviting him. Next week, he's, he's speaking to us, all right? And I got to be honest, I, I just have to stay true to what the text says. I don't want it to be boring, but it's very practical. Read, read it yourself, please. Like, please. Have action with your faith. Read it in the car, listen to it, read it at home, read the first book, read the first chapter, just read the first chapter. You can go through the whole thing. When this happened, by the way, and the scripture says, and they they split, and the 12 tribes split, there was a runner, and they got the letter from James, and they made copies of it, and they, they split all throughout the area, Antioch and Galatia, and even parts of Mesopotamia, and they, they split far, and, and there was a runner, and he would get the letter, and he would go, and he would take it to a house church, because they were having... It was coin. They would take it to a house church, and then they wouldn't just, okay, James, a bondservant of Christ. All right, now let's preach on it. That's not how they did it. The pastor of the church said, all right, guys, we're going to have food. It's going to be amazing. We're going to laugh. But I know people are being killed, and we're terrified. But we got to come together. we got to encourage one another. And, and James has written to us, guys. James, like the leader of the, new, the, leader of Jesus, the, leader of the church in Jerusalem, weren't, he's going he's gonna to read to us here in Chino. And what they would do is the pastor would get it, and he would read the whole book. That's how books in the Bible were actually meant to be read. Not verse and stop, verse and stop. No, he read the whole thing. We're not doing that. 
because we're done. But you should do it on your own. You should read the whole book. It's not long. Encourage yourself in it. Does that sound good? I know it's teachy, but we're going to step into a new season. We're going to go deeper in our faith. Hey, why don't you stand with us? We're going to finish out with a song of worship, and then you guys are ready to go. Enjoy the rest of your day. I know the Lakers are starting to play soon. They're going to beat the Clippers. We're going to pray for that. (laughs) But let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much, God. I pray, oh, Father, that you would speak to us in this series, in this collection of conversation, that you would you would go straight to the heart of the matter, Father. You go straight to who we are, that you would expose and expel all things that shouldn't be of you, God. We love you. We're grateful for you. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.